Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Over the next seven weeks of the summer, we will be exploring a sermon series on Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. This week, we have logically started at the first chapter, just a couple verses in here at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. The letter to the Ephesians is an interesting piece of scripture. It is thematically rich, and we are going to be looking at a good bit at one of the richest theological and thematic trails that passes through the letter. As this series is titled United, that just so happens to be the emphasis on unity seen throughout the letter. Now, when you are looking at a New Testament epistle, especially if you're going to be looking at it for seven weeks, as we are, it is important to look at things like author and audience and context. I often remember something that was told to me when I was in a small group as a teenager. We would look at a New Testament epistle, and when we did that, our leader would every time tell us, remember, as we are reading this, we are basically opening up a group of people's mailbox. So here we are, some 2,000 odd years later, opening up the mailbox of a group of people as we read the things that were written to them. Interestingly enough, the earliest versions found of this scripture do not have the letter addre being addressed explicitly to the saints in Ephesus, as our translation does. That does not discredit it in any way, and that does not mean that it was not written to them. 
I actually think it means the opposite. What I think it means is that it was written to more than just them. It was written to a broad array of mailboxes. That could arguably give it broader reach and widen the context for how it could be received. If the letter is for more than just Ephesus, that adds to the broadness of how it could have been received in those times and gives us a broader understanding for how it should or could be read today. So if that is the case, then there is an important piece about this letter in our text today. Here early in the first chapter that can give us an important part of information on how the scripture and this letter as a whole can keep people in unity. In verse 11, Paul or the Pauline writer writes, in Christ we have also obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. This we that the writer is referencing are these initial groups of Christians of Jewish background, the Jewish Christians, those who were the first to set their hope on Christ. In the next verse... The writer goes on to say, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. The you that the writer is talking about here are the Christians of Gentile descent, the Gentile Christians. Those Christians that we found in the Acts of the Apostles to be invited into the fold, grafted into the tree, that essentially encompasses all of the non-Jewish people. In their minds, everyone could be classified as either Jewish or Gentile. So the next verse, verse 14, says, this is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to praise of his glory. The pledge of our inheritance. The we in verse 11 and 12, then you in verse 13 comes together to the hour of verse 14. All of the people through Jesus Christ receive the inheritance toward redemption as God's own people. No matter where they were from, if they're Jew or Gentile, they were the same, redeemed as God's own people. Here in the early stages of this letter, we see that it is made clear that Jesus is for everybody. And that redemption that comes from Jesus does not care whether you received it first, or if you received it second, or if you received it third, if you received it now, or if you received it last. But in it, you receive the same inheritance, the inheritance of redemption. One of my favorite poems, if not my very favorite one, is a poem by the late Maya Angelou. That poem is called Human Family. When I think about today's scripture and I think about our title today being united as family, 
it is hard for me not to think about this poem. Ironically so, with the upcoming Summer Olympic Games in Tokyo coming up, many of you may remember this poem was recited in a commercial that aired frequently during the Olympics several years ago. The words of the poem go like this. I note the obvious differences in the human family. Some of us are serious, some thrive on comedy. Some declare their lives are lived as true profundity. And others claim they really live the real reality. The variety of our skin tones can confuse, bemuse delight. Brown and pink and beige and purple, tan and blue and white. I've sailed upon the seven seas and stopped in every land. I've seen the wonders of the world, not yet one common man. I know 10,000 women called Jane and Mary Jane, but I've not seen any two who really were the same. Mirror twins are different, although their features jibe, and lovers think quite different thoughts while lying side by side. We love and lose in China, we weep on England's moors, and laugh and moan in Guinea, and thrive on Spanish shores. We seek success in Finland, are born and die in Maine. In minor ways we differ, in major we're the same. I note the obvious differences between each sort and type, but we are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. We are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. We are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. The theme and message of that poem resonates alongside one of the themes of our text today. I believe the human family, as described by Maya Angelou, is not much different than God's family described here by Paul. Our scripture says that God destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. God destined us for adoption as children through Jesus Christ. So often, Christianity and following Christ is presented as being extremely individualistic. It is presented as something that I believe, or something that you believe, or it is a list of things that I do or don't do, or it's a list of things that you do or don't do. I hear it said somewhat often, many times by friends of mine even, things like, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like organized religion. Or, I'm a Christian, but I don't like the church. Or, I am spiritual, but not religious. Every time I hear something like this, my heart breaks a little bit. Christianity was never meant to be a religion of individuals. In fact, the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, in his preface to hymns and sacred poems said, the gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. People often take that even a step further with saying there is no salvation outside of social salvation. 
By this, John Wesley was iterating the importance of being in Christian community, being united, being together as followers of Christ. He was expressing the importance of practicing Christianity not individualistically, but as a group, perhaps like a family. Jesus himself modeled this when he called disciples together, when he fed the 5,000, when he was doing ministry in groups and encouraging those followers to go out in groups. It is taken even a little bit further as the scripture comes before us today. It is not merely that we worship, serve, study, and pray in groups, but it is even more than that. For from the beginning, God destined us for adoption as God's children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. Followers of Christ all are adopted children of God. And so, if I am an adopted child of God, and you are an adopted child of God, and anyone else who is in Christ, no matter where they are, is an adopted child of God, then that makes us family. So welcome to the family meeting. Being united as a family does not mean that we are completely and entirely perfect. No family is perfect. Even the most picture-perfect families have their issues. That also does not mean that everyone in the family is exactly alike. As the poem said, mirror twins are different, although their features jibe. Even families where everyone looks exactly the same have differing views. People within families have different opinions, and people within families have opinions about other people in the family's opinions. I'm sure none of your families are like that. Sometimes families will get in fights. Sometimes they will make up. And sometimes earthly families will decide that their differences are irreconcilable. Families of this world falter even the best ones. But the family that we talk of this morning, the family of God through Jesus Christ, is a different family. And is not one that is ever to be disunited. For the triune God, the head of this family, is never disunited. That does not mean that people don't have differing views, that people don't have different opinions, or that people don't falter. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. What it does mean is that we all remember by whom and to whom we are adopted. For in this family of God, we remember that in the most important way, we are far more alike than we are unalike. As the Jews and Gentiles of the first century both came to find that they were recipients of the pledge of their inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, we too learn see and know that today. God destined us for adoption. God's prevenient grace has poured over us as God's children, and we are all connected to one another through Jesus Christ. What blessing we have had this morning in both of our worship services to have adoption services that we call baptisms. 
We have recognized the prevenient grace of God pouring out on these children and these parents standing before you have committed their children are adopted by someone else. God as well. And oh, what a glorious knowledge that is. In a world that is constantly trying to pit people against one another based off of opinions, large or small, in a world that says that you should only relate to people that agree with you fully, in a world that says that people that think or act one way can't associate with people that think or act another, we cling to and hold to something different. We know that we are adopted and offered grace from God through Jesus Christ. And that no matter how we look, the views that we hold, the opinions that we have, or what we have done, we stand united as members of God's family. We remember that we are more alike than we are unalike because the most important and primary way in which we are alike is that we are adopted by God and redeemed through Jesus Christ. So, as we celebrate worship together today, united as a family, may we all go out and see and model God's adoptive love and Jesus' redeeming love for all the world to see. May we remember that through the Holy Spirit and the marvelous acts at Pentecost, that even those that speak wildly different languages on different areas of the globe than us are united as a part of this family. And may we remember that everyone that we encounter, no matter if we agree with them or disagree, is enough to be adopted by God and redeemed through Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.